I'm Alyssa. I'm Alyssa. And I am not Alyssa. And this is 52 Women, the official podcast from the Montgomery County, Maryland chapter of the National Organization for Women. So this week we have a little bit of a follow-up. Two podcasts ago we talked about the Lobby Day with Moms Demand Action where EB2 went and help them walk around, support the bill and all that. And we had some questions about certain aspects of the bill. So um, a friend of the friend of the pod um, (laughs) and member of Moms Demand Action was um, who I have to say, she must listen to it as soon as it hits iTunes, because we got this message like right when the podcast was posted. So um, really appreciate it. Really appreciative of that. But she sent us an email. Um addressing some of the questions so I just wanted to we wanted to make sure everyone had kind of a clear picture of that so one of our questions was about uh, you know it's great if people have registered guns and all that you know that that there's a record and the judge can say okay I need these six guns but what if they have unregistered or illegal guns and she said that there is a provision in the bill as proposed that will allow the state's attorney to request a search warrant to go in and search for and seize firearms, whether registered or not, if someone is in imminent danger. Um, and she said, how would this come up? An example, if the domestic violence victim knows about her abuser's stockpile of guns, she could alert the state's attorney before the time of conviction. Um, so that was one of our concerns. Um, the other thing that we asked was how many people are actually convicted of domestic violence? You know, it's one of those crimes that's underreported. And even when it is reported, it's it's not convicted a whole lot. So um, the answer that we got and, you know, she was just spit spitfiring this, but she said off the top of her head, she can say that Court Watch Montgomery cited 126 domestic violence convictions to write its report. And this is just from Montgomery County, um, because our our friend is in Montgomery County. Um, And she said she wasn't sure what period of time it covered. um, But, you know, she could look up the stats. But, you know, there are at least that many cases in this county of a conviction of domestic violence. Don't know what the percentage of you know, gun owners is, but I think it's higher than we think it is. Um, I like to live in a little bubble where I don't think people have guns and I know they do. And, and, you know, she said the point about it, not solving every instance of a convicted abuser holding onto a gun is a good one. But the problem with the, I don't know what the GVP is, but the GVP to date is that people say each proposed measure won't solve the problem, which we, I think we said that, like it's, it's doing something mm-hmm. and maybe this sets the precedent where they can add on top and then, but we need to get like our foot in the door, or foot in a handhold or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and she said doing nothing to close loopholes makes it more likely that more tragedies will occur. I think we can all agree with that. And they're about reducing gun violence as much as they possibly can, even if they're not able to eliminate all gun violence. So, um, just thank you for following up and for, for listening so quickly. But we did want to share that information just to make sure we're, you know, giving the most complete picture mm-hmm. of what's going on. So there you go. Um, and this is just because you just said the number of guns is probably, the number of people who own guns is probably more than we think it is. 
one of the things moms demand action, not that day, but generally what they tell you to do and, and advice I follow as a parent, but I should probably just as an adult do this in general is like I, and when I'm, my kids are going to a new house for a play date, I say, um, do you keep guns in the house? If you do, can you tell me if they're locked up, if the ammunition is separate? But actually like now that I think about it, if I'm going to a party where people are all going to be drinking, maybe I should ask that too. I mean, it's not like a, yeah, it's, it's like a good conversation to have because it's true. You're that's that's a good point. Like, do you really know? And I and I know I have a acquaintance who's a parent, and she asks that question. And I don't think anything less of her for asking that question yeah. because if you have a toddler, and you're sending your toddler to someone's house, even if it's your relative, yeah, you, I have no problem with you wanting to know if there's a gun in the house. Right. Like it doesn't just have to do with if or if you have a big kid who might. And there are other big kids in the house who their parents might think they don't know the combination yeah. to the safe or they might think, but like, yeah, yeah. we all know kids know more how than to get around their own houses. Yeah. Well. So I just, yeah, it's one of those questions we should be asking. Um, okay. So next, another follow-up is last week, um, the EBs gave us a rundown of two of the bills slash sessions. They went to the women's legislative briefing. So, we're now going to go into part two. So, EB1, do you want to go first? Um, sure. So, my second session, well, actually, my first session of the day was on economic justice. The panelists, um, they talked about a variety of different things. Um, one of them, Holly Holiday, she listed her three Ps for getting getting involved. One of them was protesting, and she said that it's... Um, like, okay to protest, get out there and make your voice heard. And her quote of the day was, it might take a little energy and a little protest to get people to pay attention. Um, so when you're fighting for uh, economic justice, um, make sure that your voice is heard so people have a fair shake at things. Um, there was someone from uh, Kate Bond from American Progress um, who talked about how access to abortion, contraception, and reproductive care is an economic issue. Um, something Bernie Sanders probably should have paid more attention to during the election. Um, and that's obviously a big one that we care about. Like we were talking about last week, access to reproductive care and, and reproductive rights in general doesn't just mean abortion. It means access to contraception, um, non luxury tax, menstrual products, all that kind of stuff, um, to help, uh, not put women at a disadvantage because of what their bodies do every month. Erin Hustings from the National Association of Latino Elected Officials, um, was talking about the thousands of EEOC complaints regarding pregnancy discrimination in the workplace that are filed each year. Um, she said the last stats were um, there were about six to seven thousand complaints per year um, and those are just the people who complain uh, yeah. so obviously there are varying degrees of laws that address pregnancy discrimination um, she didn't really talk about specific cases so I'm not sure what all those claims entail or complaints entail um, but she was going over legislation 
that has already been passed that was supposed to protect women against workplace discrimination. She talked about uh, the Lilly Ledbetter Act that Barack Obama signed, which was supposed to advance the Equal Pay Act of 1963. Um, so it's been since 1963 that women are technically supposed to be paid the same in this country, and they aren't. She talked about laws that address asking people if they are married during interviews, etc. There was Marceline White, who was the um, from the Maryland Consumer Rights Coalition. Um, she was talking about built-in biases in the everyday products and services we buy. She was talking about um, biases. Well, so I'm sorry, I have a question with that. When you say everyday bias, is that is that like what I call the pink tax? Like my razors are like seven times more expensive than my husband's, or is that something different? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> part of it. Okay. Yeah, the pink the pink tax is part of it. But um, she was specifically talking about the bill that we've talked about on a podcast before, because um, it was brought up at M Law. But biases in uh, auto insurance rates. Uh, okay. Um, okay. So she gave a handout, um, and like they were talking about how they did a model survey and or not a model survey but they had like gave models of drivers to um insurance companies and so uh progressive insurance increased its rate by 39 percent or 458 dollars annually when the model driver was a woman uh farmers insurance increased its rate and this is all like if they're equal um but just Man versus woman. Yeah. Um, so farmers insurance increased its rate by 29% or $500 annually when the model driver was a woman. And uh, single woman's rates increase on average across companies by 24% compared to a uh, 0.8% for single men when the driver's marital status is changed. So that that's like there's no reason for that if they're all equal um, in terms of like what they set up in these these fake model people that they were submitting um, to the insurance companies. Um, she also talked about uh, every uh, biases in in student loans um, and how there are a variety of factors causing women to be in more student loan debt, such mm-hmm. as um, they don't make as much money, so they have a harder time paying mm-hmm. it back and paying it back as quickly. Um, they usually have to take out more loans than, mm. than yeah, than men mm. entering school. Let me tell you, the parents not wanting to educate their female children, uh. still a real thing, guys. Mm. Yeah, so <laughs> we will pay for their sons, I guess, to go to school, and then the daughters get stuck with more student loan debt. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also that impacts as most things do that are bad for women impact women of color more so. Um, so uh, women of color have especially hard time um, paying student loans back um, because there's obviously the gender pay gap, there's gender discrimination in workplaces, but on top of that there's also racial discrimination in hiring practices and such. Um, so she, she went over all of that. Uh, I know when we were talking about the auto insurance bill at MLA, like neither, none of us, I think, were, like, overly excited about it. I, I, I don't think that's fair to Not, us. 
Yeah. There were other things that were that had a higher sense of urgency. That's true. Okay. All things being everything being a wonderful utopian yeah. feminist society, I would have been right on top of this. There were just others and you know, you can only support so many, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that it was just the urgency of it. Yeah. Like Okay, that's a better way to word it. Yeah. <laughs> um but, and, all, and also like copping to my own like even though that sucks I personally can afford the difference. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which is shitty of me. I mean, I'm right. not saying that's good. It's shitty of me to think that way. Yeah. I mean, the other things I cared about were about women who couldn't afford stuff, too. But, like, that's that's an example where I, like, just kind of glazed over it because I know it's shitty, but I can make up the but I can make up the difference so it didn't seem as shitty to me as some of the other shitty things. Right. Like when you're, <laughs> no, when you're and when like, you're I talk, mean if I'm copying yeah. to it, yeah. And when you're talking about like feeding hungry kids. Right. Or extending child support to post secondary education so so more women could go to college. Right. right. That's where it was like Yeah. yeah. But it's a it's good. But it it's was, a point. If you yeah. can't drive your car, you can't get to work. Yeah. If you can't afford insurance, you can't yeah. drive your car. Yeah, well if you're paying f- five hundred dollars more per year. Right. That's however many meals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For yourself and your kid. Anyway, I was just mentioning that we didn't pay as close attention to this, but it was very interesting hearing more about it in the more than two minutes she got to talk at Emla and yeah. I can't even remember who presented it at Emla, but um that was only two minutes, and so it was It was interesting getting to hear about it more in depth. Yeah. It was a strict two minutes, too. Yeah. It was two minutes. Yeah. Well, it had to. I mean, that line is like, I'm around the block. That's the, well, yeah, that's part of the problem, too. There's so many things that are shitty for women that there's a line around the block to beg yeah. for support for the bills yeah. to, to help women. That's a very good point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so... Uh, Mine was um, safety and justice for women. Um, Before you start, can I just say something? Sorry. Yes. Um, I had a, my thoughts are delayed today. I just, I think, I know it's one of like the core issues, like economic justice. Mm -hmm. I, and reproductive justice is really important and a lot of these other things are really important. But I think what I would like to hear from people Mm -hmm. is talking about, the economic implications of being a woman more. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, that's what this is all about. And I know, yeah. like, but it's a, it's like I couldn't go, and I was super sad I couldn't go, and like, mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, you go to like a, a woman's thing. That's a that's a bigger like it. The focus is always reproductive rights, which mm-hmm. I love reproductive sure. rights. Like I love it. I think it's you know I think it's super important, but I think we need to get more comfortable talking to people about the economic impact of being a woman. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's an intersection there, right? Like, yeah. how much how much it costs to not have a baby. Yep. How much it costs to have a baby. Yeah. Having the, the, the societal pressure for a woman to stop working or stay home or yeah. whatever when she has a baby. Like, all... And this is from a stay-at-home mom who chose to stay home. But, yeah. I mean, like, not everybody... So, I... I, I you're right. I think, th- and I think there's a major intersection there. Like, a woman has a child, and even let's say she wants to stay home. Mm-hmm. She wants to stay home, or it's too expensive. She's I mean, she's, wor- she's working yeah. at a job where it's not the amount she'd have to pay in childcare is the same as the amount she's making. Like, she's not yeah. netting anything, which is a problem. There's a problem right there. Yeah. Whatever it is, but whatever reason she decides to stay home, she stays home. And then she has to go back to a career when she's been home for 
however long she stayed and home, it's, it's, and it's very hard for her to get back into yeah. it and get back. And it, whereas a man can just is climbing those, even if it's two years, those two years that she could have stayed, mm-hmm. and she didn't. And the way women get hired or promoted based on the idea: Have you had kids? What age are you? What is your potential for yeah. leaving work? For I mean, I've, oh, I've yeah. been in rooms where I've heard men having those conversations. Yeah. Well, also, if you no, go ahead. Well, if you leave work to, like, take care of a child or something, that's however long you take off. That's social security that's not adding up. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, like, leave your partner or something, um, you can, I think if you are married for a certain amount of time, you can get spousal social security. Yes. But, um, like, that's less money that you have when you're retired. If right. If you choose yeah. to stay home. Right. Because that's a side of you, Or if you make a decision with your partner. Yeah. To stay home when everything is great, and then something happens. Yeah. And your partner decides, I worked all this time and you didn't, and doesn't have that same teamwork even, feeling. Even though yeah. raising children is freaking work. I agree. Okay. Of course. I mean, that's what I do. But, like, I, but I, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, and there are certain protect, like, I know the federal government like, you have to split your pension. Um, mm. Like, if you're married, if you, you have to... to well, well yeah, the yeah, old, yeah, old, yeah, old, yeah, old school, yeah. old school federal government. Um, I know, like, D.C. Fire Department, I don't know if it's changed, but I know this from a, a personal family story, that, like, if you get divorced, you have to, like, there, there's a certain, like, way you have to split, like, certain, pay, you know, yeah. money as part of, like, their union setup. Yeah. But, like... That I'm sure that's not true at like a law office or like an accounting office where like you don't you know your money's yeah. your money like there's nothing yeah. set up to protect like a spouse who stayed home with kids because you made that decision 25 years ago mm-hmm. and then you get divorced and you have all the money and that person's what you know 60 years old and hasn't had a career and then Has no what money do they to do retire. right yeah. exactly or, or to live yeah oh, yeah yeah. But, like, just, like, if any candidates for office are listening, like, yeah. not every woman wants to have children. Right. So, like... That's true. Go, like, there are women who are, who maybe are married or not married or... Incur- like, it's still detri- detrimental to be a woman because you're still getting paid less. You're yeah. still, like, there's all these things that aren't equal. And maybe it's time we start talking about them more so yeah. they become a little bit more acceptable in the lexicon yeah because yeah. you know everyone wants to hear how how a candidate feels about abortion or birth control or all that yeah. like they're like that's like they're like they're like hit points sure. right like how do you feel about equal pay like how are you gonna like because we know how obama felt about it yeah but like it needs to trickle down so well, and at the local life. level we know right I, i'm not it, not maybe maybe i don't know about everybody but if someone sells him or herself as a liberal Democrat in Montgomery County, I can be pretty darn sure that person's pro-choice, right? I'm, I mean, I'm right. going to ask them. Yes, yes. But I can be pretty sure. So, like, it, it makes sense for somebody in Montgomery County who is running as a progressive to go deeper into these things because we can take for granted all this other stuff, right? Because that yeah. was one damn thing Bernie Sanders never talked no. about. Yeah. And he certainly did not pay his employees equally. No marginalized yeah. well, people got talked about except one Well, like, I don't, like, like, a $15 minimum wage is great. A $20 minimum wage is great. Like, what about... The man who makes twenty and the woman who makes seventeen. Yeah. Like what are like we talk about it all the time, yeah. but like these politicians need to start thinking about it because yeah. it's something that I'm personally listening, okay. and I have a big mouth. So yeah, well, like student <laughs> loans, for instance, people talk about that all the time, but they don't break it down by like gender or race. 
I mean, they hardly ever do. Mm, that's so, true. Like, I never heard a candidate yeah. say, oh, student loans is a huge issue, but it's a bigger issue for women or people of color. Yeah, Like, and they true. never talked about that. And I totally forgot one big thing um, before you go and talk about your session. Um, from this one, uh, Ariana Kelly, who I feel like we talk about every week now, um, Champion for women. Hopefully yeah. friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was the moderator of this panel, um, and she asked them what the impact of the lack of access to quality and affordable childcare is on women's economic equality, mm-hmm. um, because Maryland, fun fact that I learned in this session, is it's dead last in the nation um, when it comes to affordable amenities for child care. That makes me really excited like, to want to have kids. I actually did not, I didn't, know, I didn't know until I saw you tweet it. I had no idea, and I was like, come again? <laughs> and whenever we're behind a state like, let's say, Alabama, uh-huh. I'm personally ashamed. Yes, I like, <laughs> Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah, like, oh, I think God, that's on. what she said. Like, we're 50th behind even Alabama. Like, come on, Georgia, guys. Oh, a lot of military in Alabama. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. So I interrupted you, Alyssa. What was your session about? Um, Okay, so I went to one on uh, safety and justice for women. Uh, It's specifically focused on sexual assault and domestic violence. And actually, um, the one I talked about on the last pod was human trafficking, which used to be, there used to be a person representing human trafficking prevention on this panel, Mm -hmm. Um, but human trafficking now has its own panel, Mm -hmm. which is good and bad. It's good because we're getting more educated, bad because it's that big of an issue, right? right? Um, So the panel was uh, Kathleen Dumay, who's in the House of Delegates, uh, Lise Jordan, who's the executive director of the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault, Laura Dunn, who is the executive director and founder of Serve Justice, and Cynthia Lifson, who is a Legislative Council Maryland Network Against Domestic Violence. Um, Michelle DeWando was the moderator, and uh, she's a VP of Legal Progress at Center for American Progress. Yeah. And her she's husband on... ran for delegate? Yeah, he was yeah. there. Michelle DeWando. He was I there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was there, and, um, like, she gave him a shout-out at the beginning. And she's, I guess she's on TV a lot, and um, she was... Fantastic. I wish yeah. I, I mean, everybody on the panel was great, but she also really wrapped it up nicely because, you know, it was, it's not that long. It seems like it's going to be long. It's, it's an hour and 15 minutes and then you get in there and it's like, you can't talk about everything. Um, so she really wrapped it up really nicely talking about women of color, talking about, um, uh, there was a woman there in a mom's demand action shirt talking about gun violence and, um, not that these women weren't speaking to that, but they were answering specific questions, yeah. and so it kind of... But she did an awesome job, so just, I don't know. So, a few things I want to highlight before I talk about the actual bills. Um, some things that I, I liked that people said. Um, so, Laura Dunn, uh, who is the one who's from Serve Justice, um, she was talking about how... The, what we do a lot with violence and domestic violence is give a message of prevention. Mm. Um, and that there can't really, that's not really going to help because unless there's a consequence. So like we can talk about ways to prevent domestic violence and how to keep guns out of hands of people who need to and, and therapy and looking for signs and all these things, but like, and like how to talk to young boys, and young girls about consent and all these different things. But if, if there's, if the consequence doesn't exist, 
then all the prevention in the world isn't going to do what we need it to do, um, which I thought was an important sticking point yeah. for, you know, that, that we kind of get, yeah. Um, Cynthia Lifson brought up, um, I wrote it down because it was, it, it, it's still a crime and it's still abuse, even if it's domestic violence. If you saw someone being beaten on the street, you would either intervene if you felt comfortable or safe, you would call 911, but for some reason when it's, say, a husband and a wife next door, yep. it's none of your business. It's a family matter. It's a family, it's a family matter. matter. I don't want to get involved. If it's kids, everyone has a right to discipline their children the way they want. And, like, people just have different... They can justify not intervening or not getting help more when it's a domestic issue than when it's not a domestic issue. And her point was, just very simply, it's a crime. It's a crime if you beat up a random person on the street. Same way it's a crime if you beat up your wife in your house. You don't... I mean, and I think it's a whole back to... The concept of ownership. Yeah. You own your wife and you own your children. Yeah. And it's horrendous. Like, it's a human being. Right. It's a human being beating another human being. Right. It is a crime and it is unacceptable. Right. And I, and I, right. You're right. And that, and I, and I think that people, if, if everyone could just think of it that way, what would I do if this was happening on the street mm-hmm. in front of me with two strangers mm-hmm. and if the answer is you would intervene or I don't feel safe intervening I would call, call the police, police. Yeah, call police then that then that's what you should do and there's nothing from my perspective there's nothing wrong like if I was home and I heard my neighbor beating the crap out of mm-hmm. his wife I would not feel comfortable going over no. there banging on the sure. door but I would sure as hell pick up my cell phone and be like you need to come to this location this because there's like and call the cops. Right. And, like, that's what I would do. And, you know, some people are like, oh, I would just barge over there. Oh, look, I'm a small person. Yeah. I'm a like, yeah. you know. Well, you could get hurt, too. Right? Yeah. Like, like just, just like when you're supposed to, like, just they like. They can have a gun and shoot you. That's right. Like that's how big right. they are. But, that's right. you know, you can pick up the phone and call the police. Right. Yeah. And say, this woman is getting beaten. This is the address. Please come as soon as possible. Right. Like, that's. That's great. Right. Like, That's great if the police takes it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, I, I mean, I got told at NYU my freshman year that if I was being raped, I should shout fire because people are more likely to run oh, yeah, yeah. fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, I don't know what to say about that. Because that affects them. Because right, everything yeah. catches on fire. Right. Never. Well, and because they don't want to get involved. Like, because we say, even well-meaning people... Well, I don't know. I, I think they think they're well-meaning. People say things like, he said, she said. Yeah. That's how we associate all these situations. Like, there's some subjectivity to it. Yeah. And and there's just not. If there's violence involved, there's not. <laughs> there's not. Yeah, yeah no, it's not. If somebody yeah. mugs somebody at gunpoint, nobody's like... What did the other person have right, to say about right. it? Right, What well, did they do? Well, if a man mugs another man at gunpoint. Was, count- was he counting his money while <laughs> yeah, he was walking? Because like, that's yeah. asking for were you, it. Were you yeah. waving it yeah. around? Yeah. Like- yeah. yeah. Were you wearing a short skirt? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that kind of goes back to the, like, the prevention mes- message. Like, we educate girls and women a lot about how to prevent being raped, which we should absolutely, we're, we're, you should learn not to leave a drink in the middle. Absolutely, you should. But but men should not drop learn not to drop roofies. In it's I mean, more like, of a. It's more of a. I'm gonna teach you the defense. Yeah. Like it's more of a. 
there are people out there who want to hurt you. Yeah. And it's not right that they want to hurt right. you. And it's not right that they would do this. Right. And I'm telling you this so that you're informed. So just keep your drink covered. But if something happens to you, it's not your fault because there are people out there trying to hurt you. Yeah. Like, and it's like, you kind of have to frame it in a, I want you to be educated and know how to protect yourself, but at the same time realize these people suck and they're evil and right. it's not your fault. Right. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's a, like, I think it's a high wire act sometimes. Um, so, so this was about violence and about sexual violence. And another thing that really stuck with me, I, I think I tweeted it out, um, was that Laura Dunn said she was prepping the audience for the fact that she was about to talk about sex. <laughs> and she said, you have to talk about sex to talk about sexual violence. Oh, yeah, I and that. we need to have a conversation about both of those things. Um, and let me, let me just interrupt myself here to say that this panel had a psychologist in the back of the room mm. in case anyone needed to walk out and talk to somebody because they were concerned that people may be triggered by the conversations that were being had, which I thought was, I, I, I was sitting next to um, Stacy, our action VP, and I said, women are so fucking awesome. <laughs> like, like, only a group of women would be like, some women in this room might get really upset. We should have someone here to support them. If I mean, like, just the thought process that women have is amazing. Hashtag girl support yeah. girls. <laughs> That's, like, one of the reasons why I can't stand all this talk about sexual assault and harassment. It's just been going on for so long. And I know that there are people out there who, like, every time they read another story, it's, like, reminding them of what happened to them. And they, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's very overwhelming. I do see some people on Twitter warning, like, like not, like, um, threading things, so you can only see the initial tweet and saying, like, what it's going to contain so that people don't read the whole thread. That's a small minority. I agree. No, no. And then it's it's always women. Yeah. That I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I was triggered by the damn Aziz Ansari thing. Yeah. I was like, oof. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. Well, so she talked about Aziz Ansari, and I think I mentioned it last time, the sexual respect versus sexual assault. Yeah. And how that's a conversation we need to be having too is, um... Not just sexual assault and preventing it, but how to be sexually respectful of a partner. Yeah. Even if they are your partner, it's consent. Sex is consensual. You're in there to have sex with the person. It's there still has to be a level of sexual respect and a and a dialogue happening between two people, so that nobody's ever uncomfortable or unhappy. And it seems really basic, but it's not obviously. Um. So and then a lot of these people were saying that. Um, the reason these bills are so vital is because this stuff it takes a really long time to fix at the federal level, and yeah. then pl- on top of that, given whose administration is in control right now, right? Well, <laughs> um, it's it's really important to try and fix some of the stuff at the state level. Um, Mr. And, and Art, yeah. Kathleen Dume added, it would be much better if there were more women in the legislature. Um, so can we just give her a shout out because she is the she is the I call her the mother of HB1. Yeah. But she <laughs> is the the she's the woman who for 9 years introduced that bill, the yeah. termination of parental rights for rapists. Like that's Catherine Dumay. Catherine, Not yeah. Kathleen, excuse yeah. me. 
Nine years. Yeah. So. And you'll hear her name, Ariana Kelly's name, Aruna Miller's name, Vanessa Atterbury's <laughs> name, um, Marce Morales' name, and who did I miss? Did I say Susan. Ariana Kelly? Susan Lee's name. That's right. Thank you. Susan Lee's name a lot. Yeah. We talk about them. <laughs> we do there's talk. A, there's a reason. Yeah. We're reading bills that are good for women. Yeah. <laughs> and we're reading the names of the sponsors. Yeah. The lead sponsors. Um, okay. So... First up, I have HB251, which is SB402. That's the consent education um, in public schools. We've talked about that before, so I don't feel like I need to go into it too much, but just so you know the bill numbers. Um, and that's Ariana Kelly, and it's Craig Zucker on the Senate side. He's my senator. Um, I need to look that in up. In my again. district. I know Cheryl Kagan is mm-hmm. mine. I really need to look that up. Um, She's mine. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I guess so. Um, then, uh, HB 338 and, um, SB 170, um, which are violations of, that's violations of, um, conditions of release. Um, so basically there's a consequence for violating the rules around seeing a victim when a perp is out on bail. Is that, was that an M-Law too? I'm not sure. What, read it again. Uh, violations of conditions of release. What, what did it entail? Oh, sorry. Um, it's there. It, it's implementing a consequence if a person is out on bail and he an abuser is out on bail and he violates. I'm using the male pronoun because yeah, okay. it's fine. Um, he vi- and he violates the rules around seeing his victim while he's out on bail. I think it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Has- so, hashtag not all men. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Well, and I just am an English major, so I default to the, I know I shouldn't, but I default to the male pronoun, and I'm trying to be better. I'm also trying to use they as a singular, because I know that it's better, and I'm supposed to, and it is hard for me to do that, because my brain is trained not to I've always said they since, like, I was in middle school. Oh, yeah. I would say he or she, if it's singular. I was was an English major also. Yeah. I mean, not well. I I mean, I always have. It wasn't just in college that I learned that. I went to high school with all women, so I revert to she. Yeah, yeah. Real fun at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they get they get he everywhere else in their lives. I'm I'm trying to be better. It's it's yeah. just automatic. Want to know a fun fact? Yes. Interjecting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing to do with what you're talking about. That's okay. Um, so there, for some stuff we have to do for now, um, if we ever have to like prove that we're tax exempt organization, there's a letter we have to show, uh, to like whatever we're trying to not pay taxes on um and it was addressed to now and it is addressed dear gentlemen (laughs) it's like i know that's what they did um like as a regular practice back in the 60s and 70s and i'm sure later on gentlemen but like have a clue like yeah just like know who your audience is one time oh that's my favorite thing about today now that i know gentlemen gentlemen gentlemen. i might not even see dear i think it just says gentlemen um yeah sorry no no it's okay no 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 she's leave that i'm sorry i just got distracted i mean not distracted out and lost oh okay so um, so that HB three three that HB three thirty eight SB one seventy the violations of conditions of release is Kathleen Dumais and Susan Lee um, are the are the sponsors on that. Uh, then there's HB three twenty eight SB one twenty one, which is redefining abuse. That's Dumais and Zirkin, believe it or not. Uh, that's adding things to the definition of abuse, including revenge porn, cyber contact. Um, 
it, the laws aren't keeping up with the technology, um, and we need protective orders to keep up with the technology too. So protective orders don't cover that. that. This was an M law. That too, was an M law. Yeah. Because this is also the destruction of property. Because our question was, why the hell isn't the destruction of property included in there as it is? Right. Um, so these, some of these we've talked about, but they didn't have numbers yet. Ah. Um, and then um, there's HB 639, um, which is a not, it's, it's numbered in the House, not yet numbered in the Senate. That is Aruna Miller and Brian Feldman, Aruna Miller on the House side, um, giving better access to prophylactic HIV medication Ooh. to rape survivors. Um, so nice. Basically, right now we give twenty-eight days of pills um, to survivors, but or excuse me, you need twenty-eight days of pills. The state of Maryland gives a starter pack, um, but in a lot of places, the copays can be around a thousand dollars. I was gonna say that is not cheap. Yeah, and um, I guess in on the eastern shore of Maryland, I don't know if it was in the last. She said last year. I'm not sure if she meant within the last year or last year, as in the calendar year before. Um, a, a child was raped on the eastern shore of Maryland and contracted HIV. That's probably why Zirkin's on that. Yeah. Um, oh, we so this would this would give this would give access to if you're if you survive a rape, this would give access um, for prophylactic HIV medication. We talked about, and I'm trying to find it, but this summer we talked about the app, and I can't remember the name of the app, but I'm looking it up right now. Okay. But we did talk about it um, on the podcast where you can get birth control on your phone, uh -huh. yeah. and yep. you can get the, they call it PrEP. Mm -hmm. You can get that. That app also does that as well. Okay. And I don't think, I didn't get an email from them. They said they would email me. I don't think it's, it's, um... It's available in Maryland yet, but I wonder if it would be cheaper that way. Yeah. I mean, there weren't that many details as far as insurance goes, but yeah, it's, ex it's expensive. Yeah. So hopefully that will... Um, Nurex. N-U-R-X. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully that will go through and we'll get a Senate number and we'll, we'll find out mm -hmm. when... And once they have a Senate member. Your session is much more legislative heavy than yes, this was legislation and I, heavy. Well, I have one more for you, yeah. so it's <laughs> going to get even heavier. More weight. Uh, not yet numbered bill from Vanessa Otterberry on the House side and Dolores Kelly on the Senate side um, for permanent protective orders, uh, improved availability for permanent protective orders. Um hard to get a protective order generally, which is actually we talked a little bit about with the um, mom, mom's man action stuff, mm -hmm. that a protective order automatically comes with a warrant to search the property for weapons. Mm -hmm. um, so a permanent protective order, you, you get that warrant, and then plus you have mm -hmm. a protective order that's permanent. Um, it, they're hard to get, and so this would improve the availability of protective orders. They didn't have a ton of um, information on how that would work legislatively, like what the push was, but um, and it's not numbered yet, but we should look out for that. Um, and Vanessa Atterbury um, is great. I, I heard her speak. Is she from PG County? Or she Howard, I think. Howard. I think Howard. I think she's like Laurel, maybe. She spoke. Oh. She spoke at the um, yeah the rally. the Moms Demand rally, and she was really charismatic. She was 
great. She's a really great speaker. It's nice to see that all these bills they talked about at MLA are like mm-hmm. are happening. Because mm-hmm. I just going into MLA, I wasn't sure, and this was my ignorance. But I remember like we were gonna vote on them, and then they were gonna support like six to eight, blah blah. But it's nice to see that. And I think I assume like if MLA didn't vote for them, they wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. which was wrong on my part. But it's nice to see that their like actions mm-hmm. behind them. Yeah. Um, I mean uh, these these issues are terrible, but it's just nice to see that there's movement. Yeah. Well, and it um just from my limited lobbying experience, which was that one day. <laughs> um. If you go if you go to the Maryland General Assembly website. And put in any of these HBs or SBs in the number, these will pop up. It will tell you who mm-hmm. the sponsors are, and it will tell you who the co-sponsors are. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if one of these is important to you, or many of them, and you go in and type that in, and you see that your delegate or your senators, delegates or senators, are not co-sponsors on any of these bills, um, it's worth a call or an email to them. There might be a reason. It, it it might be a good reason. It might be this isn't going far enough. I want it to go farther. I think in the next legislative se- session we can get it to go farther. And if we do it this way, we're not going to get what we want. That could be it. It could be that they don't know because they have 90 days and like 3,000 yeah. bills. Um, and so they might just not have their names on it. Yeah. Um, but you can ask them to co-sponsor. You can ask them why they're not co-sponsoring if they say they're not going to. If they say they're going to co-sponsor, you can ask them, would you be willing to talk to some of your um, colleagues who might not be as likely to vote for this bill and tell them why it's important. Yeah. Um, Those are all things that you can ask them to do um, as their constituent, and those are all ways that you can help move the ball forward. And I think, at least in my experience, when it comes to the Maryland General Assembly, I feel like these people are more responsive to email. Mm-hmm. Like you know, or going in, yeah, or going in. But you know yeah. how they say, like, don't email your like federal senator. Like, yeah, they don't read it. You get a for- like, yeah. I got a form letter from Van Hollen like three months later, and I'm like, oh, yeah. thanks, Chris. Yeah. Um. Well, they get so many. Yeah, but I think this is a, it's a smaller constituency, yeah. right? So, and you can call. I mean, I called my. Um, awesome. I called. Yeah. I called Eric. I called Eric Ludke, and it was. I ended up. I got sick and my kids got sick, but and my husband got sick, but I so I couldn't meet with him. But I called him to ask him about now stuff since I had just moved to the area. But then I also had some questions about all new stuff. Yeah. And I emailed him. I emailed his general assembly email address, which I was positive he was not going to email me back. He emailed me. That's back. That's what I'm saying. Like right away, and he was like, "Let's meet at Starbucks on blah." blah. I mean, yeah. like <laughs> he's like, "I'll come to you, no problem." Like yeah. so, I know it's not. They're super accessible. Well, yeah. Also, if you like get involved in something like now, mm-hmm. you just like they you, know you. They know you. Yeah. You see them everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You become. You can Facebook. talk to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, you we're Facebook friends with Susan Lee, Aaron yeah. Kelly, Marissa. Like I've <laughs> Facebook messaged two elected officials who have been on our pod uh, on our panel. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I got them to be on. I I'm friends with them on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't. It's they're all super nice. Yeah, yeah they're not unreachable. Accessible. Yeah. Um, I spent like 15 minutes on the phone with Cheryl Kagan's office when like that the rumblings about the pipeline up in Washington County started because mm-hmm. I think that I don't know that that's her her area but it said like call your state senator. 
I was on the phone with her staffer for like 15 minutes looking up the, like, but like talking, like it's much different than the federal level where like I call, well, even Hogan, but I call the office and like, you have to like know what you're going to say. And it's like a two minute phone call and then that's it. Yeah. Um, but also I have more to talk to Cheryl Keegan about than Larry Hogan. Well, no, no, no. I was calling. It was like a, in the flurry of everything else that was going wrong in the six months since Trump took office, yeah. there was that pipeline. And I was like, uh, do you, does anybody know about this? Because it was like a, <laughs> it was like a, a, yeah. a random w, WTOP article yeah. that if you searched anywhere else, you couldn't, you just found the WTOP article because yeah. they covered the hearing. And I called and the staffer like, what? Yeah. Like stayed on the phone, like. So they're the point is they're not as scary as you think they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, most of them are super nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you come to our chapter meetings, some of them show up. Yeah, yeah. that's true. If you come to our panels, more show up. They definitely yes, show true. up. Um, all right, well thanks, ladies, again, for the seventeenth time. I'm really sorry I couldn't go. <laughs> um <laughs> so next year. Yeah. Same weekend next year, but yeah. Same bat time, same bat channel. Same bat channel. Um, okay, so there were two, there were a few, like, pop culture, well, two pop culture things, one that is not pop culture, we want to talk about. Um, the first was, there is now going to be a literary prize for books that are written that, or thrillers that avoid sexual violence against women. Um. Not just sexual, it's. Uh, where no woman is beaten, stalked, sexually exploited, raped, or murdered. Which, I love reading thrillers. Um, it's really hard to find that. So, I'm really excited, because I miss the old version of Oprah's book club. Oprah told me what to read for, like, a really long time. And <laughs> I feel like Oprah... Oh my god, and you read We Were the Mulvaney's, and you wanted to... Did you ever read that I'm talking I... back, like, White Oleander days. Yeah, That's... We Were the Mulvaney's was really old. Oh. And it was, like, so depressed. I mean, I remember reading that and being like, I'm never going to be happy again. The, cor- the corrections. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, Sorry. yeah. It's, so there's that. I, yeah. I think that's really... I, I do, like... The narrative around women only becoming strong when they're phoenixes rising from the ashes yeah. of something is so amazing to me. Not just because of the the images of violence, but because women go through so much shit all the time without some major catastrophic violent event that we're always fucking rising from the ashes. Every day at work. Yes! Every every day at work. (laughs) Women don't become strong by being beaten up. They're strong already. (laughs) Also, the person who, her name is Bridget Lawless, she's the one who's starting this literary prize, the staunch book prize it's called. Um, she, well, said that also, like what you just said about women rising up, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also she was specifically calling out books and all, uh, this is focusing on books, but she mentioned films and television shows where, uh, a woman is raped or killed or something. So like the male detective can do whatever he does to become the hero. hero, So it's not even like. So the woman can overcome it. It's so the male man can shine. At least we have Olivia Benson. But at least yeah, right. (laughs) But at least he has that good moment where he pulls her skirt down so she can be modest when she's a corpse on the ground. Right. Right. No. Yes. Yeah. Got to fix her. Got to got to fix her skirt. I like to say this is a woman in the UK who started this. 
um, and is funding it herself. Oh, so. good for her. Cool. Step up, America. No way. I mean, <laughs> I... <laughs> Look, the Olympics are coming up. I'm going to be excited to be an American for a full two weeks, okay? <laughs> and only depending on how our figure skaters do. <laughs> Tanya. I said, yeah, Tanya Harding making a comeback. Um, all right. And then there was a, there was an, well, let's do the other pop culture and then we can go into the serious thing. So freaking Natalie Wood died, I think 1981. <gasps> no, yeah, Natalie Wood, sorry, spoiler alert. Natalie Wood is dead. Natalie Wood is dead. Sorry, um, Natalie Wood. Several of us are old movie fans. So Natalie Wood died and I think it was 1981 and they always said her yes she drowned in November 1981 while boating off Catalina Island with her husband Robert Wagner and Christopher Walken now the thing to know about Natalie Wood in all of this is that she was terrified of water always terrified of water it was like a thing and the story for a long time was that she got in a, hus- a fight with her husband. And this all comes from the husband. She got in a fight with her husband. She jumped in a dinghy, so a little wooden boat. And this is the middle of the night after everyone had been drinking and rowed herself to shore. And then when they found her drowned body, it was like, oh, it was an accidental death. death. Which I think everyone always thought was bullshit. Yeah. But they didn't act upon it. And there was a lot of blaming her. She was drinking she too was, much. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah. emotional woman. Yeah. She was an actress. Yeah. Um, so I guess in 2012, the LA County coroner's office changed the cause of death from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors. Um, and it was later cited the reason they did this was because there was an extended coroner's report that noted the presence of bruises on her body as a reason for the change. Bruises such as that looked like someone took her and threw her into the water, maybe. Mm. So now they have named, and this is 1981, it's 2018, um, 37 years ago, um, they've now named her husband as a person of interest, and this is, like, actually being updated, like, every few days, where the L.A. County Sheriff's Department is now like, yeah, his story doesn't really add up to the facts. So, I don't know why it took 37 years. Yeah. I don't... (laughs) The comment earlier was, are we waiting for these men to be so old so we're, we feel bad for them and they don't go to jail? Yeah. But, as we were saying before, murdering a woman, still a crime. Yeah. Even though she's a woman, even though she may be drunk and was emotional, murder is still murder. <sighs> and, and and we're not stupid. And, like, the, yeah, like, I, I think, too... The when stories like this come out, whether they're about O.J. Simpson or Robert Wagner, <laughs> that there, there's probably like a pattern of abuse that's being overlooked by friends, by neighbors, by family, because it's none of their business. And in a lot of these situations, it escalates. And then there's, I mean, I, I just the same way we see like mass shooters, and you're like. Right? You can place money on the fact that they've abused someone in their lives. Probably a woman or child. Or a pet. Or, yeah, some, yeah. something. Um, or all of them. Um, you know, same thing with with these things that end in a, per, a, a individual murder of a 
between spouses or um, people who are dating, it ends up that there was an abusive relationship there in the first place. It's not like this was the one night that something went crazy. Yeah. There were, there were warning signs. Yeah. There were things being ignored. And then it amps up and amps up until it turns into this. Yep. Those were our pop culture items. So then, uh, let's see, you wanted to talk about GLAD's Accelerating Acceptance 2018. Sure. That's the name of a report they did. They've done it for uh, the past four years. And every year they have found that acceptance for the LGBTQIA plus community um, has has grown um, with the exception of last year. And they blame it on the political rhetoric over the past year, um, particularly... Donald Trump and uh, the way he talks about members of the LGBTQIA community um, and the legislation he has talked about, such as the transgender ban um, in the military. But basically the report, which we'll post, they go over a few different things. There's a section on uh, what they call non-LGBTQ people, um, which... I'm not really sure why GLAD doesn't use the full acronym, but they don't. Um, they say, uh, they they ranked people's, how, how comfortable people were with seeing LGBTQIA plus people in certain situations. They had um, having LGBTQIA members at their place of worship, um, in a co-worker's wedding picture, uh, in their family, a teacher in their child's class, uh, for their child's class, um, their doctor, people holding hands in public, um, or represented in history lessons in schools, and each one of those categories increased over the previous year, at least the previous year, um, if not all of the years combined. Um, they, uh, noted that, uh, people are reporting discrimination more um, so 55% of the people they surveyed reported facing some kind of discrimination, um, which is an 11-point increase since last year. One, th- one big highlight was what they, they called um, allies, detached supporters, or resistors. And a resistor is obviously someone who's uh, very or somewhat uncomfortable with LGBTQIA plus people in all situations. A detached supporter um, is someone whose comfort level is varied across uh, different situations, so they may be okay with seeing someone holding hands, but they don't want their family member to be LGBTQIA plus. Oh, um, those are my favorite. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. And then the allies are, are people who are very or somewhat comfortable in all situations. Um, so the number of allies dropped from 53% last year to 49%. Mm. Um, detached supporters dropped from, or increased, sorry, from 33% to 37 So people went from being allies to being like, mm, I'm not really comfortable in all situations. And then the number of resistors stayed the same. So it's really the people who are going from being supportive or who had said in the past that they were totally supportive, now they're coming out and saying, 
you know, maybe, maybe some things are not okay. Really? What makes yeah. people change their minds? Maybe are they lying sh- before and is now they a, feel more comfortable saying what they really... That's what I was thinking. Maybe is it a like, mob mentality? Like, maybe, maybe they just said that they were comfortable because that was what was acceptable and now... Yeah. No, it's like Donald Trump's like, these yeah. trans people, blah, blah, blah. And Mike I have Pence. so much trouble discussing it because it's such a disconnect for me mentally that anyone gives a flying fuck yeah, what anyone care. else does. I don't care. It's such a disconnect for me. And I and I mean I don't like the idea that somebody would care if if two people were kissing next to them is like well I mean unless there's somebody who's uncomfortable with PDA generally and don't want PDA right, and that's but like fun, the idea yeah. that somebody would be like I'm fine if a man and a woman are making out in front of me but not two women or not two men Ooh. it's like I I'm not okay with any I, of it in front of me well but I mean just yeah. saying like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't even I can't even compute in my brain I mean I'm not denying that of course I know it exists but I can't even wrap my brain around did it did I ever tell you about my favorite conversation I had with my father while I was living with him this summer no so, no, it's a good one. Oh, okay. Don't be dread- No. No, no, no. This isn't one of those, damn it, I came from a Republican guy. No, so, you know, he, he was on pain medication because he had cancer, so he was one of those it people hurt. who... Yeah, yeah. It hurt. Um, and we're sitting in his hospital room, and there, it was when they were talking about the, the military ban, I oh, yeah. think. And my father was born in Europe, goes to Europe fairly frequently. He's like... I don't understand. They have had people cross-dressing in Europe for years. He's like, it's been going on for Paris for thousands of years. Who cares? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, so what are he, he's like, what I'm saying is, what do you care what his genitals are? Just get over it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's possibly the most enlightened thing I've ever heard <laughs> you say. It's like, I just don't understand why we're wasting time on this. Like, let these people live their lives. Yeah. And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Cool. I was like, well, you voted for him. He's like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't... Just, like, it's none of, like... You, it's which... consenting adults. They're, yeah. People are consenting adults. Whatever consenting adults, as long as both people in any sexual situation, relationship, whatever it is, are consenting adults, what else matters? We have enough I, trouble making sure the two people are both consenting adults. Yes. Let's freaking focus on that. Like you're missing the point. Yeah, like, like, like it's not, yeah. It's not. I just yeah. don't like. Would you presume to tell in a man and a woman what they can do behind closed doors? Most people, the answer would be no. No. But, we can't even tell a man to stop beating up a woman behind closed doors. <laughs> yeah, but just I, that upsets me. I mean, me too. Very, I've been reading a lot of books about Nazis lately. This is all very, this is all very close to home. The one where the most people were either somewhat or very uncomfortable was uh, having their children learn a lesson on LGBTQIA plus history in school. Really? Yeah. So they don't like, they just want to erase. I. One of the things, things that happened. Remember when I was trying to find questions for trivia and I was trying to have like a mix and I was like I cannot find like you found you found information about Stonewall, yeah. Stonewall riots. There's very little and there's very little 
um, lesbian pieces of history or transgender pieces of history that are easy to find. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's out there. I don't, I didn't know what I was looking for, but like, I want, like, we should know. Well, it's funny that you frame it that way because, um, Rosie Rios, who was the keynote speaker at that WLB thing, mm-hmm. she's the one who, um, fought to get Harriet Tubman on money. On the like, 20th. Yeah. The, yeah. And, um, she was talking about how it's so important for kids starting at starting at a young age, so important for people starting at a young age to see themselves represented. Yeah. So it's not really about yeah. anything else. It's about seeing yourself represented. Yeah. And if you if your entire identity is left out of every book and every movie and every lesson that you're ever taught, it's as good as someone standing in front of you and saying, You don't matter Yep. And nobody cares about you. And when you're gone, we're going to forget that you yeah. were here. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's a passive way of just marginalizing and abusing these, well, all people, but especially like when you think about kids and how they're growing up and growing up in an environment where people are changing their minds or changing their, what they're saying about these things when they answer a survey. And it's not, my parents... My parents had had gay friends, mm-hmm. my, and my parents had lesbian friends. Like it was, um, we'd go to Greenwich Village and see the drag queen. Like like it was all very normalized for me as a child. Yeah. Like it was. It was never a what's going on there. Yeah. Like breastfeeding was more of a shock <laughs> to me than seeing like two men in a relationship or two women in a relationship. And right. I've always been grateful for that. Where I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. Like. Not having representation in media is also doing yeah. a disservice, more of a disservice to, to the people who need to see themselves represented. Yeah. But it's also doing a disservice to everyone else sure. for that not being normal. Because it's normal. Yeah. Well, there I think there are certain situations that are more normalized in media than others. So, like, there's always, or not always, but there's a lot of times, like, a gay guy on a show. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, like, trans women portrayed on shows. But yeah. you, like, rarely ever see trans men or lesbians or bisexual people. Well, and, and if you, where do, actually if you do, you kind of see a caricature, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I was saying, when, where they're taken seriously, yeah. yeah. That's true. There are very many spectrums of gay men in media. The first episode of The Golden Girls had a gay cook. Mm-hmm. And then but he's was, gone from yeah, and then he was gone. Like he was, erased, yeah, like Coco he was never yet. existed. Just I that mean, one episode. To be honest, he was pretty annoying. He was, but for that time, but for that period, like nineteen eighty five or nineteen eighty four, yeah. whenever that was, like that's like yeah. that's a long time ago, and I don't think that was particularly controversial. Three's company. Yeah. Um, like they, like they thought Jack was gay, which is well, why they had to was, lie. To they had, yeah, so lying, he, they could yeah. live like that was the seventies, like it. Like, gay men have been around in media, it, I, it's been more acceptable for longer, so mm-hmm. I see your point. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's very, like, picky and choosy. And then... Well, and, and if you take out cable, if you take out cable, like, if you talk about media, like, just in terms of the news and, like, who's delivering serious information to people, and you take out cable news... Yeah. Then you have n- no representation for almost anybody. Yeah. <laughs> anybody. You don't have Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... Or Rachel Maddow. Yeah. Or Rachel Maddow. Yeah. yeah. You know, so much is missing from what what a lot of people watch on T 
TV who don't live in the metropolitan area. Well, they have a... Um, I don't know if they're still together because I don't watch the show. My husband does. But on Supergirl, there's actually a lesbian relationship. Oh, yeah. I don't remember watching And it's... Uh, on CBS or the CW or yeah. something, but it's on network television, yeah. and it's a sh- and it's a show. I don't know that it's specifically made for children, but it's it's a network for television show for young yeah. adult and my forty year old husband. But he's um, a young adult and a lot of adults that I know. <laughs> but the point, like, it's Supergirl, like that's pretty yeah. mainstream, and there's a lesbian relationship there. I remember um, there's some Disney show, which I have no idea what the show is. Um, but they, like, just introduced their first gay character, or, like, coming out. Yes, on the Disney Channel. Yes. Um, but that was a boy. Yeah. It seems more geared towards, it, media seems more geared towards men coming out and less women. Well, media still has male privilege. Yeah. Yeah. White male Christian privilege. Yeah. Actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cisgender. But that's so sad. Like, like I said, I've been reading about a lot of books about Nazis lately. This does not make me feel happy. No, certainly not. Who's our Who's our woman of the week? So continuing on the Black History Month theme for our women of the week this month. This week's woman of the week is Esther Gordy Edwards. Uh, you may not know her name, but you surely, or uh, at least damn well should, know some of the music that might never have been made if it weren't for her. Esther's younger brother wanted to start a record label, but he needed a family loan of $800 in order to do so. By that time, Esther had already established a co-op, the purpose of which was to provide financial assistance to their family members in times of need. She didn't really trust that her brother was a good business person because he hadn't really ever kept a steady job. She was the last family holdout who finally gave in and agreed to give her brother money from the co-op. In 1959, Tamla Records was born. Eventually, her brother, Barry Gordy, decided to change the name of the label, giving a nod to the city in which it was headquartered. The label, of course, is uh, Motown Records, and Esther is often referred to as the mother of Motown. Barry could have been like, uh, my jerk sister does not get a piece of this pie because she almost didn't give me the money, but no, her holding out was actually what made Barry want her to run the business side of Motown. Over her career at Motown, she held many executive positions, including corporate secretary, director of Motown International Operations, and senior vice president. Though Barry was obviously awesome at developing the music side of things, it was Esther who kept the company's finances and management under control so the label could thrive. She was in charge of scheduling and booking the famous Motortown Review Tours, bringing the stars to racially diverse fans across the country. These tours help break down racial barriers and integrate entertainment events. Motown artists were known for being professional and dignified, which was a relatively new perception for black musicians at that time, and that was credited to Esther. She made sure young artists signed to the label, people like Stevie Wonder, were taken care of, chaperoned on the road, and had tutors. Hmm. Esther recognized the importance of saving Motown Records records, both the musical kind and other types, as well as memorabilia. Motown headquarters was moved to L.A. in 1972, but Esther stayed in Detroit so Motown could still have a corporate office there. The office was in the original famous white and blue Hitsville, USA building in Detroit where the stars originally went to record their hits. Visitors would stop by unannounced, wanting to see where the magic happened. 
Esther would stop working and give them a tour of the building, including the famous Studio A, Motown's original recording studio. She eventually realized, quote, I think we made history and didn't know it. That's when she decided to found and open Motown Museum. Motown Museum opened in 1985 in the original Hitsville, USA building, and two years later is designated a historic site by the state of Michigan. Esther served as the museum president. She died in 2011. Cool. I never know a woman knew a woman started Motown. Well, she didn't found it, but she she was the financial backer and very important in the management side of things. Um, yeah. I'm going to give her most of the credit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, she did all the work. I had a, a PS to this, mm. this woman of the week. Um, it's only tangentially related to Esther. Um, but I want to give a shout out to the Martha and the Vandella song, I Should Be Proud. Uh, if you attended our trivia night that Jenny Rose uh, referenced uh, a few minutes ago, um, you may remember the song was, one, was the answer to one of our questions. That uh, was the very first protest protest song ever released by Motown. Um, a lot of people think it was the Temptations' Ball of Confusion or Edwin Starr's War. Um, but it was I Should Be Proud. And the song got banned from the radio because it was supposedly controversial. Uh, it's an anti-war song that's also highly critical of the systemic racism in this country that caused black Americans to be sent to and Killed in Vietnam at definitely disproportionate rates compared to white Americans. Um, Martha Reeves, uh, the lead singer, her brother actually died in Vietnam. Just wanted to throw that in there because I like Motown and that song and yay. My mother, well, my father and mother, but I always remember my mother more. We're big fans of Motown music. When Boys to Men came out when I was, I don't know, 10, 12, my mother was so excited. She's like, oh my god! <laughs> Follow yeah. us on Twitter, yes. Facebook, and Instagram at MCMDNow. It's MC for Montgomery County, MD for Maryland Now, for National Organization for Women. You can go on our website, mcmdnow.org. Um, you can go to mcmdnow.org slash join to join our chapter. Um, we have a chapter meeting coming up on February 21st at the Davis Library. We have another one on March 14th at the Rockville Library. Um, we'll be sending out an email about those, um, and they're also on our Facebook page, uh, and we are going to be having a panel event, um, on the ERA slash women's history on, on March 17th. Um, you can come wear your ERA green slash, you can also pretend it's for St. Patrick's Day, but you won't we'll get really, pinched. We'll really know why you're wearing it for the ERA. Um, it's a pinch-free zone at now meetings. Um, in more ways than one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Come out and join us. Hope we'll see you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.